You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, Chapter Leadership Committee member of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. This is a special edition of Lighthearted being released on May 5th, 2021. Our guest today will be Desiree Hevero, who is a longtime board member of the East Brother Light Station in Richmond, California. She's also been the resident caretaker or modern day keeper of the light station for the past year or so. Desiree was the guest on this podcast in episode 94. And the reason we're talking about East Brother again today is because an emergency situation has developed there. Uh, First, let's give you a little historical background. The light station on East Brother Island was established in 1874 because commerce was growing in inland ports, and the light and fog signal at East Brother helped navigation through San Pablo Strait and into the San Joaquin River. The style chosen for the lighthouse building was the handsome stick-style design that was used for several other West Coast lighthouses around the same time, with a square wooden tower attached to a six-room keeper's dwelling. After nearly a century as a staffed light station, East Brother was automated and de-staffed in the summer of 1969. The building deteriorated for a decade until the Coast Guard granted a license for restoration to a new nonprofit organization, East Brother Light Station Incorporated. The property was restored and eventually the doors were open for overnight guests. The COVID-19 pandemic forced the bed and breakfast operation to close down at the end of last June. The resident caretakers left, and Desiree Hevero moved in as the resident keeper. In early April, a 30-year-old, 2,000-foot-long underwater power cable, installed and owned by the Coast Guard, failed. A permanent fix to the cable will be very expensive. Funds are desperately needed so the light station won't fall into disrepair and so it can reopen for overnight stays. We spoke with Desiree Hevero last week, and Cindy, you joined me for the interview. So did you enjoy being in that role for a change? I did, yes. I was really excited to be part of it. And really, whatever we can do to help with this situation, um, I'm just happy to. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more about that. So I hope our listeners will pay attention. And uh, as we talk about in the interview, they don't necessarily have to give money, although that's a good thing too, but there's, there's ways they can help. So let's listen to our conversation with Desiree Hevero about East Brother Light Station now. I'm speaking today with Desiree Hevero at the East Brother Light Station in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area in California. And uh, Desiree and I spoke uh, last fall. We were just uh, checking to see when it was. It was late October. The uh, episode of the podcast was released in December. And it was great talking with you then. That was in the midst of the pandemic when the B&B operation there at East Brother was closed down and you were serving as caretaker, which you still are. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But so at the time we talked then, you were uh, saying how blessed you felt to, to be there. And you probably are still feeling that in lots of ways, but things have changed a little bit recently, as we'll get into in a moment. Uh, so thank you so much for being with us today, Desiree. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy and Cindy. Yeah, uh, Cindy Johnson is joining us for this interview, our uh, trusty co-host of many, many episodes of Lighthearted. Uh, thanks so much for helping out today, Cindy. Oh, thank you. I'm excited to be here. And Cindy, I think you have a little background with the uh, the Bay Area personally. Is that correct? 
I do. Yes. I was born um, in Stanford University Hospital and I grew up in the Bay Area until I was about 11 and a half when we moved to the East Coast. But um, my sister has lived in the Bay Area. She's a few years older than me her whole life. And she and my brother-in-law currently live in Berkeley, which is just under a 30-minute drive, it sounds like, from from Richmond, California, which we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about today. Yeah. 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 Well, it's a great area. I've only been in San Francisco in that area twice. But one of those times, I visited the East Brother Light Station and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. So Desiree, in the introduction, we talked uh, a bit about the uh, the current situation with the, the problems with the uh, the cable, the electrical cable uh, supplying power for the island, uh, which is a, a big problem right now. And that's our reason for, for talking again today. You mentioned to me uh, that this is the second time in its history the lighthouse has needed saving in its 147-year history. So remind me, when was it saved the first time? So that would be in 1979. Um, it had been boarded up for decades, and rather than continue the cost of maintaining the structures, the Coast Guard was planning on just kind of demolishing everything and sticking a, a pole up with a light for the aid to navigation. Uh, but a group of people said, there's no way we can let this place, you know, go away. So they got it placed on the National Historic uh, Register of Places and uh, founded the nonprofit East Brother Light Station Incorporated, of which I'm a now a board member. And um, Tom Butt started way back then. He was recruited by Lucretia Edwards, who sort of spearheaded the, move, the movement. And our trustee boat is named after her. It's the SS Lucretia E. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, lots of people came together. It took a year of really hard work, lots of donations, uh, matching funds. I think it was somewhere upwards of about 100,000 that was raised back then. So that was no small feat. And once again, 42 years later, we need to be saved right. with that same energy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's an it's a amazing, amazingly wonderful place. I'm so glad it was saved. Uh, and too bad it needs to be saved again. But just before we get into the specifics of what's going on now, uh, for people who might not be familiar with it, can you just explain a little bit about the organization that runs the lighthouse that you're part of, and uh, maybe just a little bit about the history of the B&B there? There were a lot of ideas on what to do. The only really viable one was to open a bed and breakfast that is open to the public for an experience of a lifetime. And we've been able to maintain this light station for 42 years with a percentage of the revenue. Some of it goes to paying the keepers who have to do, of course, all the, all the work. Uh, and then the other percentage goes right back into the lighthouse. And over these 42 years, we have put almost $9 million back into this lighthouse to keep it going. There is nothing about maintaining a registered historic landmark that is cheap. Each stair tread has to be done historically accurately. Each step, when a person is walking up our stairs, each step is $500 because of the kind of wood that it has to be, the way that it has to be cut, the way that it has to be installed. It's expensive to keep her going, but she's infinitely worth it. 
Sure, definitely. As you said, it's uh, expensive to take care of a, a property on the National Register of Historic Places, but especially one that's on an island. <laughs> Out in the salty sea air, which is very corrosive. Yeah, that makes all the difference for sure. So that makes it doubly expensive. So Desiree, if you could please explain to our audience, what is the current emergency situation that's going on right now at East Brother Light Station? Well, so on April Fool's Day, which was just a sick joke from the universe, (laughs) we realized that the submarine cable that provides power to the island had failed. And our antique generator from the 1930s wasn't working properly either. So we had to scramble, as you can imagine. Luckily, our friends at the harbor nearby were doing a lot of um, coming and rescuing or bringing the antique machinist, uh, Steve Phillips from Pengrove, out to get the generator back into shape so that we would have some form of power. But I'm only allowed to run it one hour in the morning, one hour at night. So that's, I very strategically have to plan when I'm charging my phone, when I can take a shower, when I can do the dishes, use any appliances and keeping in mind, I can't overload the generator. I can't act as though everything is totally fine when it's on because he can only handle a certain load. So I've had to consolidate the refrigerators and freezers and unplug the extra ones to lighten the load on the generator. He's not intended to provide power every day for months on end. So I really have to baby him so that he'll last me until we can figure out what to do. Now the submarine cable is owned by the Coast Guard. The last time they replaced it was in 1991 when there was a lightning strike that caused it to fail. Um, The Coast Guard did immediately come out and inspect everything. They are underfunded, as is everyone right now. And it would be financially prohibitive for them to replace the cable again. It would fit in their budget to place a solar panel on the tower to power the light. And that is, of course, their obligation to keep that light going as a navigational aid. for the maritime industry. That leaves the island with no power. And we were just starting to have discussions about when we could project reopening the bed and breakfast as California had gotten their sort of date for reopening. And then this happened. So we might not be able to open ever again if we can't raise the money to fix the problem. How long into the... um the cable failing, did you, did you find out that the Coast Guard wasn't going to replace it? Well, they're not able to replace it financially. Um, We are not trying to make a divide. And a lot of news articles were doing the, the mean Coast Guard is leaving poor lighthouse. You know, if they don't, they aren't in charge of how big of a slice of the pie they get. No. The cable itself is about $150,000 to $200,000. Just the cable to contract someone to lay the cable is going to be about another $800,000. So you're looking at a million dollar fix. They came out within two days of the cable failing. Okay. And they knew that, that they were willing to put the solar panel up 
for the light and that that would be what they could do. They right. are providing the diesel fuel. They dropped me off uh, about 40 gallons of fuel a week to make sure that the generator can keep running um, because that recharges the batteries, the backup emergency batteries that the light uh, is connected to. Well, a lot of people have been very helpful as far as wanting to get the word out, wanting to, not everyone is famous or an influencer, but they have friends or connections um, and ideas. Ideas are pouring in left and right. The number one most popular idea being that we should go solar to power the light station or a combination of solar and wind or wave generation. Hydrogen fuel has been mentioned. There are a lot of options, all of which cost money and some of which are actually not within the guidelines of remaining historically accurate, if you can believe that. So solar is, is a tricky one because placing anything on the structures is against the regulations. And we have limited grounds for the amount of solar panels that it would take to solve mm -hmm. the problem. We have had various professionals out to do site visits, uh, we've gotten all the data of our power usage for the last three years so that everybody knows kind of what they're going into. We are open to all suggestions, uh, even more open to the donations that could bring those suggestions to fruition. But some of the ideas that seem like a no-brainer in this day and age actually fall within that really tricky gray area of compliance and regulation. One thing I, I'm not 100% clear on, is there any sort of navigational light there, any sort of emergency light or anything like that operating at this time or no? So the light in the tower is connected to a series of backup batteries. And every time I run the generator, it charges them and they can uh, hold that charge for up to 72 hours. Mm -hmm. um, but it was so interesting because within hours, the Coast Guard had reached out to me on the telephone and said, we know you guys are having a tower failure they own the meter. So they got notification that something was wrong. And he said, you know, as long as you're running the generator, it should be able to charge those, but you have to watch that light. If the light goes out, you have to call me. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the olden days where I'm keeping the light, making yeah. sure it doesn't go out. There's a fog signal too, right? There, there usually is from October to March, but when the Coast Guard came out to do their inspection of the failed cable, they also turned that off because it was time. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's in its off season anyway. So on a more sort of personal note, a personal level, what's it been like living with no electricity or very little electric power for you? My steps have increased exponentially. Um, it takes a lot of extra steps to do everything. For example, when I wake up first thing in the morning, I've got to get a fire going because it is so bone cold here that I can see my breath and it's the end of April in California. So I have to strip bark off the eucalyptus trees, um, break off little branches uh, so that I can pack my fireplace at night so that it's ready to go in the morning. When I do run the generator, I keep the ice machine on. After that hour, I collect the ice that it has produced in champagne buckets, and I put those in the refrigerator to help keep the refrigerator cold for
for the times that the generator is not able to run. Um, I've also done that, of course, with the freezer. I have to plan very strategically. Uh, yesterday, I knew I was going to want a little pizza for dinner. So I had to wait until the power was on so that I could use the food processor to make the dough and then let that rest in the refrigerator for the next time that I ran the generator when I could run the oven. Um, everything's planned. Everything's very carefully planned. I'm very purposeful in my day and in my routine. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of very specific planning to make it to make it work for you. Luckily, so I work for emergency services at Burning Man and not every year, obviously. We didn't have it last year and I'm not going this year, but Burning Man has no plumbing and no electricity also. I was well prepared for something like this. <laughs> so Desiree, you were, you were talking a little while ago about uh, possible alternatives uh, to the cable, you know, getting the power by cable. And you were talking about the reasons why solar, maybe wind, uh, you know, other alternatives might not be possible there. I was just wondering, is there any chance, there's no, I guess there's no chance the cable can be repaired. Is that right? There's a chance that it can be spliced, but there would have to be a number of tests done to find exactly where at in the 2000 foot cable, there was the breach. Right. Um, pulling that up out of the water and splicing it. In 91, when it was replaced, the type of cable and conductors that were used were adequate for what we were using the light station for. However, now, in 2021, our appliances have been upgraded and added to, we actually need a, an entirely new cable with different conductors that can now handle the load. Okay, well, that answers that. I was thinking maybe if you had divers, you know, examine the cable, try to find the problem, maybe that would be cheaper than the million dollars you're talking about to, to buy and lay a new cable. But I guess there's other reasons why you have to do it that way, so. It was so calm and there was no, there were no ships on the water when the power went out. So it's not like someone was dragging an anchor and snapped it. There was no real obvious cause of why this happened. And it really could just be that it's a 30 year old cable that's been handling a load that has just been increasing as it's been getting older. Yeah. And possibly it was, it's time. Can't know for sure. Yeah. I guess they can't really assign a, a, a life span to those those cables when they're first put down. It depends on a lot of different things, I suppose. Anyhow, um, I have a, a, a question for you that I probably asked you when we spoke before, uh, but I need to ask you, why is this so important? Why does this lighthouse need to be saved? Well, it is the oldest operating wood frame in the United States. It is on the National Register of Historic Places. It is a registered California historic landmark, and it is a one-of-a-kind destination bed and breakfast that's open to the public. Have you heard of any place like this that someone can go and stay and have this amazing, magical experience? <laughs> Probably not quite. I mean, there are certainly a number of lighthouse B&Bs, mostly on the mainland. Right. The ones that are on island islands are generally a bit more rustic and not, not exactly B&Bs. Uh, so it'd be hard to think of anything that's exactly like yours. And I think that the East Brother B&B uh, is the oldest of its type in the country also, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I was talking the other day to my friend Nick Korstad, who owns the Big Bay Point lighthouse B&B &B in Michigan. 
and he thinks that his is the second oldest by just a little bit. East Brother started as a B&B when? Was it like 85? 80. 80. Okay, I thought it was a little bit later than that. Um, Nick's was, I think, mid-80s. Um, so I think you you beat them by a few years. <laughs> yeah, we're all in it together. But Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I should mention while I'm thinking of it, speaking of, uh, of us all being in it together, uh, on May 15th, and the people are going to be hearing this uh, May 5th, so 10 days from when this podcast episode is being released, we're going to have a Zoom event. The U.S. Lighthouse Society is having a Zoom event re- related to lighthouses with accommodations. We're going to have about a dozen people from around the country and the world. And Desiree, I believe you've uh, said you, you'll represent East Brother and as part Absolutely. of that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be May 15th at four o'clock Eastern time, uh, one o'clock uh, Pacific time. And we're going to have people in uh, Norway and Sweden. It'll be like midnight for them, but <laughs> they're, they're nice enough to take part anyway. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Are you still hoping that the bed and breakfast will be able to have a season this year? We're hoping that the bed and breakfast will be saved, period. Optimistically, prior to this power emergency, optimistically, we were hoping maybe the end of July, the beginning of August, start getting guests back in. Um, We had some capital improvements we've been doing while we've had the downtime. And we wanted to wrap a few of those things up hire new keepers, train them, and get everything sort of ready to go. That was looking like late summer, early fall. As far as the pandemic, that was the plan before the table failed. Exactly. Okay. Now the plan is save the lighthouse before this treasure is lost to the world. In 1979, without the power of social media, We were able to save it with hands and money. I totally believe that we can do that again. We just need to get in front of enough eyes. Actually, that leads me to uh, my next question, which is so important. How can our listeners help? Absolutely. That's a wonderful question. Please go to our website at www.ebls.org. There is a link for our GoFundMe campaign. There is a link for our Network for Good donation platform, which doesn't take as high a percentage of the donations. And if your employers match donations, they won't match through GoFundMe, but they will match through Network for Good. And if you're not comfortable with any social platforms, they can mail a check that says save EBLS to our mainland address, 117 Park Place, Richmond, California, 94801. Also, and for the first time ever, I think, we're going to try to use the power of advanced technology to save something so old. It costs nothing to share our story. If you've got a lot of friends or your friends have friends, connections, etc., influencers, social media, we all have seen what the power of going viral can do. If we could go viral in the best way, not in the COVID way, (laughs) then we could save this lighthouse and maybe all of the problems, the fence, the rail, not just the power. But for right now, power is paramount. Absolutely. And so obviously 
if people are able to donate financially, that's great. But for many of us who are struggling through the pandemic that way, um, there's still there's still definitely other ways we can help by just spreading the word. And that can be worth its weight in monetary donations if it gets in front of the right people. Absolutely. You know, we have a lot of Bay Area greats. You know, we've got uh, Steph and Aisha Curry, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris is from the Bay Area. George Lucas is from the Bay Area. If we could get in front of the right people, this is not just my lighthouse, this is our lighthouse. And if you're Bay Area at any point in your life, this is your lighthouse too. Uh, so Desiree, I, I was looking at your GoFundMe page recently and it's doing pretty well. I think you set a goal of 150,000 on that. Uh, and last I looked, it was 60 something thousand. It's probably higher than that. Now I haven't looked in at least several days. I think I looked uh, last night and it was close to 70. Uh-huh. That's, that's excellent. That's, that is really good. I mean, I've seen a lot of GoFundMe pages that haven't done nearly so well in the space of time uh, that you've had that up there. But of course, so far, it's just a small fraction of what's needed to, to do what's, what needs to be done. But, but that is obviously one of the, the easiest ways people can donate to the project. Desiree, tell us again what the website is. www.eblf.org. Oh. And to find the GoFundMe page, I imagine there's a link on the, the main website, probably on the Facebook, on the organization's Facebook page as well. Is that right? It is pinned to the top. It will be the first post that you see um, if you come to visit our page. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely keeping up with all of the articles that are being written on us, That those links are going on our Facebook page too. Right. Um, there are a tremendous amount of things happening in the world right now. And when the story first broke, we were getting donations were pouring in. Um, but there were very important things that were happening. And we kind of got lost in the shuffle a little. So I cannot thank you guys enough for being willing to do this emergency podcast and reshedding some light on the situation. Oh, we're, we're extremely glad to do it. And I, I hope our, our listeners might be able to help out. Like we we're like you were saying, Cindy, it doesn't have to be financially that can help spread the word as well. Anything. Right. Anything that we can do to help is well worth it. So happy to happy to do it and hope I really hope this this helps. Yeah, I second that. So before we sign off, Desiree, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know? I would like you to know that when we all save this lighthouse. I want you to make it a part of your bucket list. Come and visit us. Know that you're able to be here with us because you were here for us. That's that's perfect. Uh, you know, I visited there uh, in 2015. Didn't get to stay overnight, but uh, just had a wonderful time visiting. I need to get back and, and spend the night. And I do plan to do that. I know it's, it's going to be... Uh, happening again in the not very distant future. So I, I look forward That's to right. staying there. Yeah. Onward and upward. <laughs> so thank you, Cindy, for taking part in this uh, oh, no, interview thank today. You, thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, Desiree, so much. Yes. Thank you, Desiree Hevero, a board member and caretaker, modern day keeper of the uh, East Brother Light Station in California. We wish you all the luck in the world. And we want to hear from you again and uh, get a progress uh, update soon. So take care, Desiree. I'll be seeing you guys in May.
So it's great talking with Desiree again, and uh, I just want to remind people that, uh, that you know there's ways they can help besides uh, giving money, which is always helpful, but uh, they can help spread the word as well, which is really important. For more information, please visit ebls.org. And also their Facebook page uh, has information as well. So, and also the uh, uh, GoFundMe page, uh, which is linked to from their website and Facebook page. I recommend that people check out all of the above. And with that, as always, thanks for listening and keep a good light. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.